0: As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com inventionage.
1: is the big picture is because England just voted on a referendum to leave the European Union which was never a union anyway but that has huge ramifications for the world economy because in theory the European Union is or was or will not be soon the biggest economy in the world so what does this mean to you and me what does it mean that England at one time two hundred years ago was the empire that ruled the world and today it's a little island? And what happened to the English Empire? And what does this mean for America? And what are we gonna do with China and India coming on? So let me give you a little bit of background on why I asked these questions and why I want to keep it on a big picture. So way back when in the nineteen eighties, I started studying with a man named Doctor R. Buckminster Fuller. And Fuller was a futurist, and he always started with the biggest picture possible. And he wrote about civilization going in what's called a northwest spiral. I'll say it again. Civilization goes in a northwest spiral. So his viewpoint of the world was civilization started somewhere near Thailand. And Thailand, from there, it moved into India, Mongolia, India, and then into Europe, and then from Europe into America, and Fuller's prediction was that one day it would come back to China and India. So the whole world civilization would take this huge northwest spiral. I know for some of you go, what does that mean to me? Well, it means we're sitting at probably the most momentous time in world history. And if India and China are coming online and, and Europe, the old country, is dying, you better pay attention right now because the EU, again, it not, wasn't never really a union, is toast. And that means that euro may soon be toast. So today we have a very exciting show because we have very smart people on board we have Richard Duncan, he's a great friend, been with us for years. I read his book, The Dollar Crisis, in 2003, and went on to his book, The New Depression, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy, in 2012, and his great book, The Corruption of Capitalism, in 2011. So Richard has been an advisor to the Rich Dad Company for years and a personal friend. Our other guest is Anya Manuel, and she runs out, She runs around with uh, an impressive crowd, should I say. You know, I mean, that's hardly the descriptive adjective. But writes Hadley and Gates, and um, I'll let her introduce them to you. She served as an official of the U.S. Department of State from 2005-2007. to She's responsible for South Asia policy, and she's a brand-new author of this book, The Brave New World of India, China. And the United States, and once again, according to Buckminster Fuller, the inventor of the geodesic dome, the futurist, is that we've now completed the spiral. So we're sitting at this time in history when Europe is toast, India, China is coming on, United States is today the power, but it may not soon will not be. So that's why it's very important you pay attention. Any comments, Kim?
2: Also, I, I want to just add that um, Richard Duncan uh, is, a, is from the U.S., but he lives in Thailand. He's, he's actually on the phone with us from Bangkok, so he is right there on the spot as we're talking. And, you know, the thing about Brexit is I, I find it so interesting if anybody in the U.S. I mean, this is a global thing, but even in the U.S., it, it, yes, if they're saying, oh, this doesn't mean anything to me, but the people have voted to go with the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen when they break away. They're, they're vo- they have voted to go with the unknown versus stay with what's known because they're fed up with what's known. And that's exactly what's happening here in the U.S. They're, they're going towards Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, which is the unknown and the anti-establishment, which is a huge factor for this Brexit vote. So um, I see a direct correlation to what's happening here in the U.S. Uh, as to what's happened in Brexit.
1: And Richard Duncan is classically trained economist, went to Vanderbilt as well as Babson. He's worked with the IMF as well as the World Bank. So anyway, it's going to be an exciting discussion because we're going to look at the whole world and which way are we going next in the Northwest spiral. So welcome to the pro- program, Anya. Let's start with you. Could you explain who Rice, Hadley, and Gates are? I mean... You can do a far better job. I know who they are, but, man, it's that is as pedigree as you would get. You can pet it. <laughs> sure.
0: Absolutely. And thank you both for having me on the program. Oh, thank thank you, you, Anya. Now, I used to be in the U.S. State Department, as you said, and now I um, co-founded and run a small strategic consulting firm with Condoleezza Rice, who was our Secretary of State, and uh, Steve Hadley, who was our National Security Advisor, and Bob Gates, who was um, our Secretary of Defense under Obama, and we help U.S. companies navigate the world beyond our borders. So everything from China and India, and what's happening today. I've been doing a lot of calls on Brexit with my clients, uh, all the way to what's happening in Brazil. So we see the impact of the spiral, as you put
2: it. And and what are what are your what are your the clients? What are you discussing? What are you talking about? What are you telling them?
0: So Brexit, of course, will be difficult both for the EU and for the UK, because for two years now, there will be a negotiation about what this looks like going forward. And coming on top of what they've just had, which is the debt crisis in Greece and elsewhere, and the huge influx of migrants into Europe from the Middle East and from Africa, this is going to be a hard shock to absorb. But let me put this in context, because Robert, you talked about the spiral of civilizations, and you, you did this so nicely from a global perspective. I think Brexit is actually one example of a larger trend. The world right now seems to be in a defensive crouch. We, for two decades, we were having increased globalization, freer trade, better movements of goods and people and financial flows across borders. And we see it right here in the U.S. You know, the rise of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, just like Kim said, is, a, is partly due to the fact that people are scared. You know, a lot of people are benefiting from globalization, but there are some uh, who are not. There are some losers, and they are concerned about what's happening. And I think Brexit is a piece of this. The nationalist parties that you see in Germany and France are a piece of that. And it is a worrisome trend. It's hard to explain to people how trade is good for them because it is good for them on a macro level. But as I've been going around the country talking about um, the book I just published on China and India, I've been doing a lot of explaining to folks about how trade with China actually is beneficial and why, for example, Trump's Prognosis that you need to put a forty-five percent tariff on all goods coming from China
1: isn't actually going to help us. <laughs> Anya Donald Donald and I've written two books together. He's a good friend of mine, but I agree with you. I think free trade is better than tariffs, you know, and walls. But anyway, um, yeah. I agree with you. It's 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 a polarized world right now, and everybody's got an opinion, and nobody is listening. So that's a hard part. Let's uh, right. Richard in. Richard, you know, being a classically trained economist and a guy who was hiding out in Thailand after working with the IMF from World Bank. Why in the world are you hiding in Thailand? I mean, you're an American.
3: <laughs> well, Robert, first of all, thank you for having me back on, Kim, Robert. Thanks, Richard. Uh, well, you put it very well at the beginning. You said Fuller claimed that civilization started somewhere around Thailand. Right. Well, it's come full circle. This civilization is. This is the center of global civilization once again. Very nice standard of living. Uh, Lots of nice people, lots of good food, lots of sunshine. And so it's a very nice place to live. But I think going to Anya's point, I think she framed the whole story very well. And the the way I look at what's happening globally is somewhat similar. I call this the – after the Bretton Woods system broke down in 1971, the U.S. started running very large trade deficits – And as long as the U.S. trade deficits became larger and larger, that created a global economic boom because, of course, our trading partners could export more and more to the U.S. But in 2008, that trade deficit corrected very sharply. And ever since then, we've been in quite a severe global uh, situation. So you can think of this as the post-Bretton Woods world, if we can call it the, the dollar standard monetary system, This is the dollar standard boom and bust. As long as the trade deficit grew, then the global economy boomed. When it contracted, now we're in the dollar standard bust. So the global economy is very weak. Global trade is contracting very significantly. And suddenly, the people who were uneasy about their wages not going up, well, in the past, they benefited from their home prices going up. So to some extent, they were bought off. But now many of them have lost their homes, and all of these political pressures are coming to the forefront because the global economy is too weak to continue to allow everyone to share in the growing prosperity. Okay, so. We're so a very serious global pack- backlash.
1: Right. So here we have, if, if Fuller is accurate, the Northwest spiral. We have Europe, the old civilization, in serious trouble with immigration and the weakest banks, central banks, going right now. And we have China and India, and I was just, you know, Richard, Anya, Richard, Richard and I were just in China, India, and uh, Thailand together, and mm-hmm. and Taiwan, and it's interesting to watch that side of the world, which is your side of the world, in which, in the title of your book is this brave new world: India, China, and the United States. But it was also Richard way back when who pointed out that China had overbuilt that they actually had factories and cities to nowhere. They had built these huge factories but no business because the jobs have already moved on to lower wage countries such as India, I mean not uh, such as uh, Vietnam and now Myanmar.
2: And and Richard you must have said this I, I'm gonna say it was like four years ago or so and you said you've got we've got to pay attention because China China's exports are decreasing and nobody was paying attention to it. Everybody thought China was the big boom, boom country, and they were going to be the major country. And uh, you were saying, no, it's slowing. And that was bef- way before anybody else.
1: So now we have China booming and India going to boom and Europe just busted. And, and that's what Richard Duncan was always talking to me or writing about, is this boom and bust called, caused by the dollar standard. And so now we have a boom and bust economy all over the world. Richard has MacroWatch with his video newsletter, and we subscribe to it. And the reason we subscribe to it is because rather than just talking words, Richard is talking in pictures, in graphs. He will show you what's happening to the economies of the world, the country you may live in, and the U.S. So the coupon code is RichDad. It's one word, R I C H D A D, and it's a 50% discount. His website is RichardDuncanEconomics. Economics.com, Richard Duncan, Economics.com, all one word. So once again, it's Richard Robert of the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. You can listen to the Rich Dad Radio Show at your time and your schedule with Rich Dad Radio app available at the App Store. And all of our po- all of our programs are archived at RichDadRadio.com. We archive them so you can listen to them again, or if you have a friend, family member, a business partner who needs to listen to this program. Go to RichDadRadio.com and find this podcast and listen to it again, because it's a very important broadcast today. A world-changing event was Brexit. In my opinion, it was the end of the European Union, the old country. It was the isolation of, I mean, of England, and England was the biggest empire in the world. Now it's just a little island. United States became the world power, but as I was talking about the... Northwest spiral that Buckminster Fuller talked about, Dr. Buckminster Fuller, the world, the world economy is now shifting into China and India. So, our guests today are Anya Manuel. She is the co founder and partner with the, I mean, Rice, Hadley, and Gates. I mean, you can't get much more pedigree than that, a strategic consult- consulting firm. And she's the author of This Brave New World India, China, and the United States. Please read that book because it's about the future. We have friend Richard Duncan, author and economist. His book, Dollar Crisis, opened my eyes as to why, why we have a boom and bust economy, why Japan went down, because that was what Richard was focusing on. He's also author of The Corruption of Capitalism, 2011, The New Depression, breakdown of the paper money economy, which is going on right now. So it's all related. All of this is related. And what does this all mean to the world? So we, we went on break talking to Anya what does this mean from her perspective given her ability to be so close to the pulse of the world so Anya what does this all mean to you from your pr- perspective should i say and, and
2: yeah what do you see with China and India that as robert said earlier we may we may not be seeing absolutely thank you kim and robert
0: china and india will have a dramatic impact on us right here both china and india will have a dramatic impact on us right here at home both positive and negative they will be the fastest growing market for our companies with nearly 3 billion people between them and the world's largest middle classes and selling to india and china will create good jobs for us right here at home we will also need their help to solve the world's biggest problems like for example climate change I live here in California and about twenty percent of my smog comes over directly from Asia. So we used to think we could solve this if just the US and, and Europe could get together, but we absolutely need India and China, which are the world's largest and third largest emitters of carbon in the mix
2: here. So what so what you're and, saying on what you're saying, Anya, is that we could solve these problems if we get together versus talk about tariffs and taxes and They're the enemy of of business and they're taking all our jobs away. That kind of talk is going to be exactly what makes it worse. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. My argument in the book is that we have a choice here. We can go down a path of conflict, which mostly we don't have conflict with India right now, but it's certainly sounding that way with China. We're becoming more belligerent in our talk with them and so are they with us we will certainly always have interests that are different from china's but in the end nobody wants a new cold war that is in none of our interests china doesn't want it we don't want it it doesn't help either of our economies so it helps us to try to get along
1: so richard what is your point of view as being an american sitting in thailand watching the cloud float over your head <laughs> <Smock>. <laughs> well it's certainly
3: the the environmental degradation in China is is, in, is just hard to believe unless you've witnessed it. But luckily, the wind doesn't blow south toward Thailand, so I'm not getting any of that. It's still is pretty clear here. But yes, so that with the global economy so much weaker than it was 10 years ago, there are increasing tensions between China and the U.S., and our relations are increasingly strained. Last year, China's economy was reported to grow by 6.7%. But as far as the rest of the world is concerned, what really matters is not China's GDP growth, is how much China's imports are growing. The more China imports, the better it is for the rest of Asia and all of the world, and the United States, of course. But last year, China's imports contracted by 17%. So that was an extraordinary blow that I think very few people saw coming. So if China, if, China's economy,
2: reason, if China's economy slows, then that affects the whole world, especially the U.S. and people that are selling to China.
3: Exactly. When China's imports contract by so much, then global commodity prices crash and the currencies of the commodity-producing countries fall sharply. And commodity-producing countries like Brazil, well, Brazil's now in the worst depression in 100 years. So this China hard landing, which I think started last year, is already having a very severe impact on the global economy.
1: So let me ask Anya this question. You know, Trump always talks about the Chinese are better negotiators than Americans, and we always get the quote-unquote short end of the stick. Would you agree with that or not agree with that?
0: I don't agree with that. I do think that China entering the WTO, which I believe was a good thing.
2: WTO is um, what? Is
0: That's the World Trade Organization, where in 2000 and 2001, we created a fairly open trading relationship with them. And I do think that has helped China more so far than it has helped us. But it has helped us as well. And um, I don't think any of this is malicious by China, as it's sometimes being portrayed on a campaign trail. So I think Richard is right that China is really worried about its own domestic economy. So when we think we're worried about our manufacturing jobs and our blue-collar workers, so is China. I mean, when I go to Shanghai and Beijing, the shopping malls are full, the law firms and accounting firms are doing just fine, so that part of the economy is doing well. But go to a second- or third-tier city, and this is exactly what, Richard, we're talking about. There are empty steel towns with people living on the streets or ghost cities of apartments that were overbuilt where no one lives. And the Chinese just leaked that they're going to have to lay off five million workers in the next few years just in the coal and steel sector. Imagine if we had to do that here in the U.S. So they're worried, just like we're worried. They're not 10 feet tall and trying to get us. They're trying to shore up their economy as well.
2: So Anya, are you know the the politicians all say that we're losing all our US jobs to China and India. Is that is that accurate? These numbers that are being thrown around are
0: very hard to verify and everyone comes up with their own because you can calculate it in so many different ways. Yes, the things that used to be manufactured in the United States like shoes and textiles and low value goods, those are now by and large being manufactured in cheaper labor markets, whether that is China or Thailand or Sri Lanka or the Philippines or Guatemala, wherever it may be. Unfortunately, even if we punish China, those jobs aren't going to come back here. Uh, and better, faster machines are as much to blame for these lost jobs as uh, China's actions. Let me give you some examples, too. If we don't sell to China and India and others, we're going to lose many American jobs. Boeing, for example, manufactures its planes right here in the U.S., but it sells more than a quarter of its commercial planes to China and India alone. So if we start a trade war and those markets were closed to us, just Boeing, one company, would likely have to lay off tens of thousands of Americans. So we should be tough, where we disagree with China, where they're coddling their big national companies, where they're being unfair about market access for the United States. But we certainly shouldn't start a trade war.
1: Richard, what do you want to say, Mr. Duncan? I think everyone should keep in mind that it's not just
3: China versus the U.S. There are different interests within the U.S. There are, you could say, the the wealthier classes, the industrialists, who have benefited enormously from this relationship with China. They've moved their factories to China, that's pushed down their labor cost, so their profit margins have gone to historically high levels. And the bankers have also benefited from financing all of the debt that has resulted from the U.S. going having such enormous trade deficits with China. Last year, China's trade surplus with the U.S. was $360 billion in one year alone. So, there are groups in the u s who have enormously benefited from this, but the majority of peop- of the Americans have have you could, i think it 's fair to say they have suffered from this, and those people are the ones who are now revolting that 's why the Republicans seem to have lost control of their party to Donald Trump, and why the Democrats are very close to losing control of their party to donald to, to Bernie Sanders because these people are finally revolting against um, the deal that they've gotten as a result of free trade
1: wasn't that and the partly free Bre- of
3: capital around the world.
1: But wasn't that partly Brexit? Also, the, the the rich got richer in England, but the poor and middle class did not. I mean, isn't that kind of universal? And then when you add immigration, you know, ten years ago when I was in London, they were complaining about all the Polish people moving into London. So it really does seem as a globalization of the economies, without much solution to it. So before we go to break, I'll just leave Richard with this one question. You know, when you talked to me years and years ago, you talked about how the, the dollar standard blew the Japanese economy into a bubble. The question is here, Richard, has the U.S. dollar also blown China into a bubble? And if Europe is coming apart, what's going to happen to China? It's a very important program because what we're talking about is what's going on in the world economy. England is no longer part of the European Union. As I started earlier, years ago, I studied with Dr. Buckminster Fuller, a futurist, and he talked about the Northwest Spiral. He said the Northwest Spiral was very simply civilization started near Thailand, went across Asia, hit Europe, hit the United States, and is now going full circle back to Asia. So we've got a whole complete cycle of Fuller's Northwest Spiral and exactly the same time the old country, Europe, is starting to come apart at the seams. So it's a very important show because it really is not a time to be isolationist or protectionist, but it's a time to be wide awake and looking at the world from a macro point of view. Any comments, Kim?
2: Well, it's no surprise we have the perfect guest Two perfect guests for today's show, and one is Anya Manuel. She's the co-founder and partner in Rice-Hadley Gates, LLC, a strategic consulting firm. She's the author of This Brave New World, India, China, and the United States. Her website is ricehadleygates.com. And Richard Duncan, author, economist, contributor to Rich Dad, um, in many ways, the author of The Dollar Crisis and The New Depression, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy, A, a very... Brilliant economist who uh, is from the U.S. but lives now in Thailand. And so, Richard, in terms of Brexit, you, uh, off the air, we were just talking at the break about what's happening with the banking system. So, would you right. would you expand so Brexit, on that?
3: So, Brexit uh, hit the world by surprise. The pound was down nearly 10% at one point. The European stock markets were all down. Nearly Gold was 10% soaring on average. Gold soared. That's right. And um, but one thing that i think is worth keeping an eye on you know we know that england will probably go into recession now and that will be bad for the global economy and it's not going to be good for the european economy but a more near term problem could be with the banks in the uk some of the largest uk banks barclays for instance was down the share price was down 26% and even the us banks at one point city city was down 10% so the markets are telling us that something has gone wrong with these banks and if the banks are in trouble then we could have a much bigger problem in the near term rather than worrying about the slowdown in England's economy over the next 12 to 24 months for instance all of these banks are exposed to just truly enormous amounts of derivatives In total now there's something like 650 trillion dollars of derivative contracts to trade over the counter and the banks are uh, have own them. And so if the banks get into trouble, then our crisis could become much more immediate than just a, the, the consequences of a U, U.K. So, recession next year. So
2: you're saying there could be a major banking crisis in Europe?
3: Well, I'm not saying that there will be. I'm just saying that uh, having a bank share price fall 26% in one day is something to keep in mind. Uh, so if I have a bank account, that,
2: if I have a bank account, what does that mean to me? <laughs> If I have a bank account at Barclays, well, what does that mean to me?
3: I think that the, the governments will bail out the banks, but it could certainly create a lot more volatility in in the stock markets. It could also force the Bank of England, for instance, to start a new round of quantitative easing, which would cause the pound to fall sharply, and it would probably push down U.K. interest rates further. Uh, so there are uh, a number of potential disruptions to the markets if the uh, banks in Europe and the U.K. and potentially even the U.S. get into trouble over this.
1: We had Mohammed el Ariyan on, you know, former PIMCO, and he said basically the central banks have had it also. Do you agree with that?
3: Well, I think the central banks are beginning to run out of ammunition in that they've already pushed interest rates so low The Japanese 10-year bond yield is negative 20 basis points. The German government 10-year bond yield is negative. It's yielding negative five basis points. So there's only so much more the central banks can do in terms of pushing interest rates lower. So So monetary policy is beginning to have negative consequences. What we need is more fiscal stimulus, more government spending to uh, ramp up demand and make the economies grow again.
1: So, Anya, what do you think about all that?
0: Yeah. Let me add just how I think this would impact us here in the U.S., because this is, of course, we're hearing a lot about the markets. Richard is absolutely right. You know, European markets down, U.K. market is down, the Asian markets are down. I think some of that will recover a little bit once the first shock of this Brexit vote is overcome, but it won't recover completely. And it impacts us here for the following reasons. If the U.K. economy now stagnates or even falls into recession, as it might, because what has to happen now is you basically have two years of complete uncertainty. The EU and Britain have two years to discuss how this exit happens. And that means everything. Are people from Europe and England going to be able to immigrate easily and work in each other's countries? Probably not. What's all the way to what's the right standard for a vacuum cleaner? What's all the way to what's the right standard for a vacuum cleaner, and what does that look like in Europe versus the U.S.? A lot of big multinationals who are now headquartered in London may think about moving a lot of people to other European capitals, to Paris or to Frankfurt or to Berlin. So the problem is there's a lot of uncertainty, and it will be worked out really slowly, and that will slow down the European economy, and as a result will have an impact on our businesses here that are doing a lot of business in Europe as well.
1: So what's your point of view with India, China, United States? You're the author of this Brave New World, India, China, United States. So when you look at what's going on with Brexit and Europe, what do you see for India, China, United States?
0: Yeah, I think Brexit will have a small impact on that triangle relationship, but not huge. I think the U.K. is probably mistaken. They now, the, the folks who voted leave the eu feel like britain would have a higher status in the world if they could just go it alone i think that's unlikely if you're going to china and you're representing a group of islands that's 65 million people which is what britain now is rather than something that sits at the center and is really one of the most powerful states within the european union you know china and india are big and they're going to pay a little bit less attention so i think it'll have an impact in that sense. Uh, I wonder, I hope this isn't the case, but I wonder if also it will make it harder for Europe, the U.S., and the U.K. to coordinate policies. Because on some of these things where we're worried about China, we're worried about China militarily, like what they're doing, you know, the fake islands they're building in the South China Sea and elsewhere. It's going to be harder now for the world to have a unified response to that because we're even farther away from Europe Uh, having one coordinated foreign policy.
2: Does anybody benefit from Brexit? Boy, (laughs) I wasn't
0: in favor of leaving. I have a lot of British friends who were. I think, let me just say their side of the argument. I think people in Britain felt like there were too many regulations coming out of the EU and they had no control over what was going on in their country. And to the extent that you want to regain control, maybe that helps folks. I think ultimately Brexit is a is not going to be positive for Britain, and I think it's really difficult for Germany and France and the rest of the EU countries. Boy, I'm, I wouldn't want to be Angela Merkel
3: today.
1: So, Richard, what's your point of view? I think Britain would
3: have voted to remain in had it not been for this Syrian refugee crisis, with all the Syrian refugees coming in, thanks in large part to Angela Merkel's near invitation. Do you think that's the uh, number,
2: that's the main reason this this vote happened?
3: I think had there not been this crisis and the fear of a flood of, of refugees coming in into the UK, I think the UK would have stayed in. Interesting. But uh, no, I, it won't be good for the UK economy. It won't be good for the European economy. But my bet is still that the, the, the euro is going to survive and that the European Union is going to stay around because the purpose originally of creating the European Union was so that Germany and France would never go to war with each other again. It was a political project before it was an economic project. And that's still their overriding priority. So they're going to do whatever it takes to hold it together. That may mean tightening the borders or reaching some new compromise on the flow of immigrants and refugees, but I think they'll do whatever it takes to hold it together.
1: I tell you what, man, I wouldn't want to run for political office today. The problems are so huge. You know when, You know, Anya, when you talk about the pollution and things like that in China, I'm not very fond of China because I, I started a gold mine there years ago, and the Chinese government confiscated it
2: after we found gold. After we found gold. So, uh, uh, before before they weren't interested in was. all. And so you know,
1: like when I was, we said, well, we're going to bring Anya on here, and she's going to talk about the wonderful world of China. And I, I have a hard time with that one, <laughs> but I'll keep well, an you know, open mind. I'm not mind. really
0: talking about the wonderful world of China. We certainly <laughs> have our differences with China and, and in some ways with India as well. But my view is just that you can choose to have a conflict, which can look in some ways like a new Cold War, and that's in no one's interest, or you can keep your individual national interests. Push back hard on the things that we don't like that the Chinese are doing, but find a way to all muddle along together in a way that benefits
1: all of us. And this guy Modi of India, I think he's done a great job. What do you think of him? He's
0: doing quite a good job. You know, the Indian economy really needed a whole other round of reforms. They're 20 years behind China in their reforms, and they're lagging behind, and the last government had just run out of steam. So he's really trying to push things. Of course, the difference there is India is— a democracy just like we are here in the US so you can't I think the expectations were a little too high people thought Modi would come in and clean house and fix everything and he's been able to do much less of that because of course he has to deal with the other um, elected representatives both in Delhi and then just like in the US the state in India are very powerful so when you talk about making it easier to buy land for a factory or get environmental clearances or hire and fire worker Many of those things are actually at the state level, not at the central level. So while Modi has done a great job, he's pushing really hard. He's not going to be able to move as quickly as people
1: hope. Well, you know that report they had, he's trying to get people to use toilets, and there's a lot of pushback on that. I mean, for those listening here, can you imagine being this political leader, you're trying to bring us into the 21st century, and people still aren't using toilets, and they refuse to use toilets. I mean, how in the world do you force somebody <laughs> to use a toilet? So, Richard, what's your opinion on that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, well, i I'd <laughs> <laughs> just, just like to mention that I've been doing a series of macro watch videos over the last couple of months, uh, five videos on China and China's hard landing. And I, I really am concerned that, China is turning Japanese. They have such massive excess capacity of everything. For instance, in three years, 2011 to 2013, they produced as much cement as the United States did during the entire 20th century. That just gives you some idea of how much excess production capacity they have across every industry. And they have been growing their credit at an extraordinarily rapid rate. Credit has been growing more in China in absolute terms over the last seven years than it has been in the United States during the last seven years So now they're really hitting a crossroad where these loans are going bad very rapidly They have their companies are loss-making because they have too much production capacity of everything and They're stuck and so they're trying to restructure their economy and it's not working very well
0: Do you agree with that Anya? My view on the economy is a little bit more optimistic. I think they're growing maybe at 4% a year right now. Of course, this system is entirely opaque. So the bottom line is no one really knows. They're certainly not growing at 6 to 7%, which is what they claim to be doing. Uh, some sectors of the economy are doing extraordinarily well, like services and consumer spending is growing a lot faster than manufacturing and, and the part that's blighted that Richard um, correctly talked about. Here's the bottom line for us, though. I sometimes get asked, wouldn't it be great if China failed and if it had a hard landing, and if India failed and had a hard landing? And I guess the argument goes, we could just go back to dominating everything and
4: manufacturing
0: everything at home. I think that's unlikely to happen. So for better or worse, India and China are two of the big engines of the world economy. And we are all so interconnected now that either one of these, Collapsing or Europe doing badly or the US doing badly impacts everyone. So it's actually in our interest for everyone to do pretty
1: well. Amen. Yeah, amen. We amen. So I want to thank both. I we, agree with that. Yeah. I want, yeah. I mean, you guys are saying the same thing, it's just diff- different points of view. Hey, Anya, yeah. if, if,
2: if Trump does get elected, I trust he's going to work with you and your partners. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyway, I want to thank our guest, Anya Manuel. She works with Richard, I mean, Rice, Hadley, and Gates, a very prestigious firm. Her, white, her website is ricehadleygates.com, and also Richard Duncan. His website is richardduncaneconomics.com, and he does produce his macro watch videos. And once again, I want to thank our guest, Richard Duncan. He's an author, economy economist. He has his website MacroWatch. Please subscribe to it because it's worth watching. His website is RichardDuncanEconomics.com, One word, and also Anya Manuel, and she's the author of This Brave New World: India, China, and the United States. it comments, Kim?
2: Oh, the timing of this show is perfect because with the historical event of Brexit just happening, and you know how that affects. I mean, it's interesting to hear all of the inside scoop on really how it gets affected. And and Anya says it's going to take two years just to unravel it all and things even down to how what the standard of a vacuum cleaner is. I mean, it's you don't think that way. And I know with these with the vote, they really voted. The voters voted for the unknown. They're Like, we're so fed up with what's happening. We're fed up with the immigration. We're fed up with the, the establishment that we're willing to risk going into this whole uncertainty because we're so fed up with what's happening. And the U.S., we're in the same
1: place. And I want to say, I, I told Richard Duncan this thing was coming down a long time ago. I said, man, that euro is toast. And Let me tell you why I could tell him that it was because the, the EU, European Union, is not a union. It's a dictatorship. They just tell everybody what to do. So it's a monetary union, everybody uses the Euro, but it's not a standardized banking system. They have different central banks throughout the whole place. They have German central bank, French, English, all this stuff. So it was never a union. And on top of that, you have different countries like Greece and France, they're not on the same fiscal policy standards. It was a bunch of BS. This EU cannot hold together, it's gotta come apart. When England says we're out of here with Brexit, basically that's the end. I bet that Spain and Portugal and then Marie Le Pen and France will say we're out of here too. When that happens, it's going to be Brexit, you know, one more time. So anyway, that's my point of view. The EU was never a democracy. It was always a dictatorship. And nobody likes being told what to do, especially now with immigrants from, unfortunately, tragic, millions of immigrants with no place to go and nobody wants them. So anyway, that's why my friend Donald Trump may have a point. I don't necessarily agree with him fully all the time I'm on immigration, but Europe has a massive, massive problem. I don't think the euro is going to last, and I don't think the, the European Union is going to last. So the first question from Melissa, is it our fourth birthday today?
4: Yes, Robert, I was going to say congratulations and happy anniversary to you and Kim. It's our Four year anniversary of the Rich Dad Radio hey. show today. Boy, Congratulations. I've gone fast. It did go fast. So thanks too to all our listeners who send us these great questions every week. Our first question today comes from Brian in Ohio. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He says, I work for a large manufacturing company and so far I've been able to keep my job. I worry about my company outsourcing to India or China. Do you have any advice on what I should do now to protect not only my job, but my financial future?
1: I don't think you can protect your job. Look at Cameron, you know, the prime minister or whatever it is. He lost his job in one night. So, look, all you guys better wake up. All of you with the employee mentality, wake up and smell the coffee. This economy is coming down you will probably, if you're afraid of it, you'll. it's your gut, it's your spirit, it's your instinct telling you, you better do something different. See, so the reason there's this company here, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or because my poor dad, you know, he got fired and he, he couldn't start his own business. He didn't know how to become an entrepreneur. Kim's father, the same thing, right? That's right, at 50 he got fired. And so this is gonna to happen to millions of people. They're gonna lose their jobs. And this idea of go to school and get a job—if you're telling that to your kids, you're crazy right now. You're absolutely crazy because what's happening is technology and globalization and financialization. In other words, all this play, financialization is they're playing games with money. They're not creating jobs. You know these big Wall Street banks, which are in trouble. Thank God. All they're doing is taking money and and propping up the stock price, which means this. This whole share market is gonna come down like a house of cards like I've never seen before. There is no economy anymore, you guys. There's no jobs being created. This whole thing is a shell game. It's a Ponzi scheme. Right, well, Kim and I, for the first time, we're in Hawaii, we're talking to friends, and these guys, it's the first time Kim and I have ever had a conversation about Social Security. And these are very affluent people, and they were thinking about social security. And when Kim and I left, we said, "You know, our friends and I—we never talk about social security because we don't even think about it." Remember that?
2: Oh yeah, and this is well, this one um, couple—it was—it was. was, She had lost her husband, and she this was her this is how she was going to survive was her social security and it was a really fascinating conversation, understanding how even social security works, and all the ins and outs that she went has gone through all these hoops that she had to jump through and um, it was it was an eye opener
1: and i was work i was I was in South Carolina talking to this other guy. You know, college educated and all this. And he's counting on Social Security. I went, where
2: the hell are you? Well, it's no different than counting on job security.
1: I, I mean, know. So this is thing. what I'm saying. The rich company was formed because I don't want to, I don't want to count on job security. If you do, that's up to you. And you want to count on Social Security, that's up to you. But I think this economy is in a major, major contraction. They're afraid of deflation. There is no inflation. So when this thing keeps deflating, number one, due to globalization, number two, technology. Look at Uber; those Uber drivers will soon be out of work. Taxi drivers will soon be out of work. And then, third, financialization—they're just playing games with money. There is no economy. They're not investing in new jobs and new technology. They're just boosting share prices. So wake up and smell the coffee, because that's what the rich dad company was formed—you know—created for. But I thank you for the question. But if you're afraid, be really afraid. Next question, Melissa.
4: Our next question comes from Paul in Philadelphia. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He says, Robert, I applaud your mission to bring financial education to the masses. But with all the institutions working against you, how realistic is it for you to reach the masses? Don't you basically need global revolution to achieve your goal?
1: Well, first of all, it's a real pessimistic attitude, but I've already reached the masses. Okay. You know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is number one personal finance book in history. Every day throughout the world, we have thousands of cash flow clubs, people playing cash flow, teaching each other. What Kim and I did was just bypass Wall Street and all those. And
2: we bypassed the school system because I think system. Paul may be thinking that, you know, how do you get it into the school system? We're, we're not trying to get into the school system. That's like hitting your head against a brick wall. So the the school system was never a target of ours.
1: So start a cash flow club, get five or six people, play the game, study, read books, listen to this program. But you've got to start taking care of yourself. You hope the government or Obama or Mr. my friend Trump will take care of you. You're dreaming, man. You'd better wake up. This baby is coming down. Brexit meant old Europe is finished. United States is next. China and India coming on. But the reason I had Richard Duncan on is that China is in a bubble because they accept the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is corrupt. If you understand that, you might get back to action. Final question, Melissa.
4: Our last question comes from April in Little Rock, Arkansas. Favorite book, Midas Touch. She says, with everything happening in the global economy, do you recommend investing in foreign countries?
1: What do you think I do? I mean, I sell millions of books and in, in games in and India and China, Mexico, South America, Europe, Africa and all this. You've really got to think globally. If You don't have to ask me permission. You better take responsibility for your own life and don't listen to these politicians. Never been easier to be an entrepreneur. The cell phone makes you an entrepreneur throughout the world, but you got to change your thinking. Well, I
2: was just going to say, no, the Internet, you, you're, you're global just through the Internet immediately. Um, if you're going to invest in, like, physical, like, property and things like that in other countries, you just better go there and check it out. What I love about Anya is when she talks about China and India. She's going to China and India regularly. She's in the street. She's talking to people. She's talking to people who live in the slums, and she's getting a feel for it. you got to get a feel for it if you're going to invest physically in a country. But to do business in a country globally right now, it's never been easier, as you said, Robert. Right.
1: And we did business in China. I'll never do that again. You know, <laughs> But that's my experience of it. Yep. You know, I still sell a lot of books there and games. and I still go there and teach and all this. But I don't want to do business with the Chinese, period. I like India but the Chinese have a different set of rules.